Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game with me, Kevin Day, and Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire. It's Christmas Day, Kieran. Ho, 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 ho. Uh, it's not, obviously. We're recording this several hours before the Palace-Brighton game, which is uh, well, a slightly edgy dynamic. <laughs> Our lovely listeners are going, they're not as friendly as they usually are. It's not the same sort of laughter going on as us, just because we're both super anxious about the outcome of the biggest game of the season, basically. I don't care what anyone says. <laughs> it's just... And I'll be seeing that. I've seen a lot of you this week, Kieran, and I, I can never see enough oh, yeah, of you. And yes. We just... <laughs> I don't think I don't think people realise, darling, how scheduled the, the work we have to put into producing several half-assed Christmas pods to see people over the period when they should be looking at their family, not sitting hiding in the toilet listening to us. Um, but yes, but I'll be seeing you tonight in person, Kieran, and I'm uh, looking forward to it. Uh, probably won't be seeing you afterwards because you'll have been arrested, probably, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Lobbing quinoa on the pitch. <laughs> uh, yes, it's questions. So we're having a, we're, having, we're just having a short Christmas Day questions pod, Kieran, but we have to talk about one big news story, which, of course, uh, in the scheme of things, happened just after we recorded our proper our last proper news pod, and that is big news about the Super League, Kieran, the European Super League. Yes, the European Court of Justice has effectively overturned the recommendation of the the advocate who who looked at the the proposals for Super League. And just to give a, a bit of backstory, as we know, Super League came about. It 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 burnt bright and shortly in theory in twenty twenty one. But it never went away. People thought it was dead. And we've been saying on this show, it's not dead, it's sleeping. And now it's starting to wake up again. Um, So there's been a company called A22, which is operating on behalf of Barcelona and Real Madrid. And the ruling that has been uh, announced by the European Court of Justice is that neither FIFA nor UEFA can impose financial penalties on somebody who sets up an alternate competition. So that doesn't mean that the Super League is going to go ahead, but it does mean that one of the barriers to Super League has been withdrawn. Um, So where does this leave us? Well, the Premier League sneaky six, for want of a better phrase, they all said in 2021... Oh, it was a terrible mistake. We never meant it in the first place. Uh, let's just pretend it never happened. Um, and that's what they've said in public. But whether they've also been involved in those little WhatsApp groups um, and have been saying, well, we're just, we're just bide our time. Uh, be, be patient. You know, it's, it's a bit like, you know, it's, a bit, it's a bit like Putin and Ukraine. He's waiting for people to lose interest um, and he's playing a long game. The likes of the Glazers, and John Henry um, and Stan Kroenke and so on, who are you know, involved in those Super League clubs, they're not interested in football. They've never been interested in football from day one. They're interested in making money. And Super League is a good way to make even more money um, than they're making at present. So where does this leave us? Well, we've got the potential independent regulator 
uh, being created by the UK government. That's likely to come into being in, yeah, I'd imagine by the summer of 2024. Um, if you actually take a look at the remit and the, the proposals in relation to the regulator, it specifically says that clubs will be allowed to join other leagues provided they are meritocratic. So i.e. they are based on having to win football matches to qualify them. I spoke to a sports lawyer very, very quickly after the announcement um, and just before we, we uh, recorded the show. And I said, um, so what does meritocratic mean from a legal point of view? And it will come as no surprise to anybody. He said, <laughs> it depends, Kieran. <laughs> and this is where I am start to get a little bit twitchy. Um, and, and certainly the reaction of fans, fans of other clubs have said, if they want to go and set up their own competition, excuse my language, they can F off. Yeah, they, could, they if, if they want to do that, right, leave the Premier League, leave the EFL. We're quite happy to have domestic football. But of course, these clubs don't want that. They want to both have their cake and eat it. They want to be part of the Premier League because it's a fantastic competition. It's got huge viewing figures and they want to be part of the Super League as well. And if that is the case, what we will see is a huge amplification of the existing very large gap financially between the big six clubs and the others. And I think it will take away some of the excitement. You know, so it, we're, we're in season 23-24. Um, Aston Villa could win the Premier League this season. They're playing fantastic football. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. If they win the Premier League under the proposals by A22, that, that would allow them to play in a playoff to join Division 4 of Super League. Now, how much money do you think is going to be in Division 4 of Super League? Because it's the equivalent of the European, uh, the European Conference, the UEFA Conference. And that gets around about £1 for every eight or nine that the Champions League gets. Well, that gap is going to be even bigger between Division 4 and Division 1 of Super League. And therefore, the likes of Villa, in terms of getting into this competition, being able to, to go up and down the leagues, is going to be severely curtailed. What does that do? It effectively creates a, a monopoly, or, or it's a financial monopoly without being an organisational monopoly. Um, and I think that's what is upsetting fans. Leicester City winning the Premier League in 2016 was fantastic from a romantic point of view. That allowed them to get into the Champions League the following season. They got to the quarterfinals. Yeah, people forget that. Absolutely brilliant. You talk to any Leicester fan, yeah, I'll, I'll hold that to the day I die. If Super League goes ahead, events such as that are simply never going to happen again. Um, A22 are saying there'll be 400 million euros available to be split between all of the clubs uh, who are not qualified for Super League in Europe. Well, uh, 400 million quid is what Manchester City make in just over six months. So if you split that between 55 leagues and 12 teams, it, so it, it's it's very much Marie Antoinette, you know, let them eat cake, let them eat crumbs and so on. Um, I, th I think if it goes ahead, it will be funded by private equity. It will be very glossy. It will be very anodyne. 
I, I think, yeah, if it does happen, you know, I, I'm out of it. You know, I'm, I'm out of football. I'm going to go and watch non-league and just just forget about it. It would just it would destroy the romance of the game. Yeah, I, I think I think it was Hastings, Kieran, in our last live gig. Where we discussed on stage that the, the, yeah, the Super League or a Super League will eventually happen. It's just a question of which English clubs take part. But somebody asked me just a day or two ago, uh, as presumably Celtic and Rangers would be asked to take part in the European Super League, wouldn't they? Potentially. Um, they they certainly have some things which will tick boxes. Um, and, and I know Rangers and Celtic fans won't like this. Um, you can see why the likes of Real Madrid and Barcelona and Juventus will be quite happy because Celtic and Rangers aren't big enough. Uh, yeah, because okay. they don't, they right, say, oh, okay. we've, got, we've got a fantastic, you know, Dispora, we've, we've got fan bases all around the world. They have, but they're, they're pretty, uh, they're, they're pretty small compared to these giant clubs. They don't have the history, you know, Celtic's revenue in a good year is a hundred million quid. And that's what, yeah, that's it. They have a spectacular run. Um, yeah, they, they win the domestic league, they qualify for the Champions League and so on. These clubs are generating six or seven times that. And that's before Super League Division One is created, which will which will increase those revenues. Um, so, so you will see some very uh, anodyne, very smug, self-satisfied comments coming from the people behind Super League saying you've got nothing to be scared of. It's all, you know, all, all of the, this is, this is scaremongering. This is all fake news. As soon as you start to see the details, exactly the same with Project Big Pictures. As soon as you went below the, the headlines of the bits they want you to see, you realise that from, from the point of view of domestic football, um, it, it's extremely bad news. The likelihood is that the Premier League will be reduced in size 18, potentially 16 teams, because part of the Super League proposals is that each team gets four, a minimum of 14 games. Well, that's where, where are you going to squeeze those in on top of everything else? So for a club like Palace or Brighton, it means that, you know, um, um, let's be honest, there's an element of self-interest here. Um, for, for clubs such as ours, our existence at the top division is going to be more difficult to satisfy and if you do finish fourth or third, you, know, you, you have that spectacular season, that, that once-in-a-lifetime event, um, that's, that's it. You know, you, you're not chasing top four anymore. Manchester United get relegated to the championship. If they're in League One or in Division One of the, of the Super League, they stay there. Where, where's the, how, how can that be merit to crack it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's go on to our uh, Christmas Day questions, Kieran, um, none of which are particularly festive. Uh, I think, yes. uh, yeah, I would have, I would have thrown in a, a funny question about Father Christmas and football, or some kind of Greenland FC based question. But no, producer guy has gone. Doesn't matter. It's Christmas Day. It's business as usual. The producer guy. And our first question comes from Malia Moses, and I hope I've pronounced your first name right, Malia. Uh, but Malia Moses says it seems to be the norm these days for player transfers to be paid in instalments rather than a lump sum. But I assume things get a little tricky when it comes to paying in instalments and activating a transfer release clause in a player's contract. Can a club officially activate a release clause using instalments or would the buying club need to negotiate a separate agreement with the selling club and use the release clause fee as a guide? I would have said, if I was producing, I would have put the word Santa between release and clause. Right, just to add a little bit of festive, the release Santa Claus. But, but yeah, as I say, business as usual for producer guy. 
Right, uh, Amelia, and again, apologies if I've got your name wrong there as well. Ultimately, a, a release clause, it means that the buying club, uh, this was this is the case with uh, Suarez and, and potentially going to Arsenal, the release clause is that you've agreed to pay £40 million. That's, that's the value of the release clause. So therefore, you make that offer. And then as, as a separate issue, um, what you would say is, let's see if we can come to some form of agreement in the terms. So the selling club could be a member of the awkward squad here. They could say, well, okay, it's £40 million. That, that's the deal. And um, we want £40 million up front. And therefore, it makes it more difficult for the buying club. The downside of that, as is the case in, in respect of, of all transfers, is we're ignoring the player. Now, you know, we, we've seen players down tools. We've seen players say, well, if you're going to be awkward, I'm going to be awkward. And then, you know, oh, I've got a twinge in my hamstring or I'm mentally I'm not here, whatever it's going to be. We, we, uh, you know, and certainly in the case of Brighton with the likes, you know, why do Brighton fans hate Mark Cucurea so much? It's because not that he left to go to Chelsea. It was for a fortnight before he left to go to Chelsea. He was uh, reporting a number of strange injuries and uh, and so on. And, you know, effectively downing tools. Players do that. And it, it's part of the business. So if, you, if, you, if you're going to try to be very awkward as the selling club, you, you risk having an unhappy player, which isn't in anybody's interests. So under these circumstances, it's like our old friend Nick DeMarco always says, it's, it's better to have negotiation than confrontation. And you, you, you come up with some form of solution, which is ultimately beneficial to all parties. Our next Christmas Day question, Kieran, comes from Adam Roper, or, as it's Christmas Day, Adam Roro Roper. Is it possible for football clubs, says Adam, is it possible for football... That's a bit of a stretch, I agree. Is it possible for football clubs to use some of their spare cash to buy other non-football-related companies and use any profits from those companies towards their FFP calculation? One thing I've learned from your pod is that a club owner can inject as much money as they like, but only a relatively small amount counts towards FFP. So could an owner inject a billion pounds and then the club use that to buy a lucrative lemonade company and then have that company sponsor the club for a small fortune each year? Yeah, another attempt to get around FFP from our gallant listeners. Yes, uh, I think some of our listeners should set up a management consultancy firm and be advising <laughs> clubs because some of their proposals and schemes, even even Dick Dastardly would say that they're unusually dastardly and cunning, which is fantastic stuff. Um, we have seen, historically, the likes of Chelsea and Bolton Wanderers have hotels effectively on the premises. Um, and... Yeah, I've, I've never. I'll be honest. I've never checked the small, small print because they don't tend to make a significant amount of money, so therefore nobody particularly cares. But could this be expanded upon? Well, the answer theoretically is yes. But as we know, both the Premier League and the EFL are member-owned companies, and in the case of the Premier League, it takes fourteen clubs to vote on a particular rule. So if somebody set up. Um, you know, Newcastle lemonade. I don't think they sell a lot of lemonade in Newcastle. You know, I've been, I've been to, I've, I suspect I'm the only person that's ever drunk it in that city whenever I've been up there. Um, if somebody set up Newcastle lemonade 
uh, and it was uh, a successful, a successful drink, yeah. unlike William Stories. Um, then uh, it could contribute, but the chances are the Premier League clubs who are opposed to Newcastle would pass a ruling that the revenue can only come from definitive sources, which would be broadcast match day, other other sporting events, other entertainment events, and so on. Um, so never say never, but it, 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 this is part of the whack-a-mole uh, element of football and finance, where people come up with workarounds, and then the regulators and the clubs give it the thumbs up in the or the thumbs down Julius Caesar style. Actually, Newcastle lemonade, it, it would have to be called Toonade, wouldn't it? Uh, this time <laughs> yes. next year, Toonade's going to be a tuna. I'll have a Toonade. Um, our next question, Kieran, I'm pleased to say, comes from Hughley Gilmas. Uh, and I've been entertaining myself. I don't say Happy Christmas anymore. I say Hughley Gilmas, everybody. Uh, uh, Hughley Gilmas has this question. Are there parachute payments for teams relegated out of other top leagues? the same way the Premier League do, and are they comparatively at a similar rate? I ask, as I've noticed that Venezia FC, um, the Venice's football club, is struggling in Serie B and wondered if it was due to a lack of parachute payments as they only came back down last season. Yes. I mean, as far as English football is concerned, the, the parachute payments between the Premier League and the Championship are worth, um, over a three-year period, probably you know, 85 to 90 million pounds. So it is it's a huge sum of money. Um, the EFL also has parachute payments, which it tends to be quite quiet about, which I don't never understand. And therefore I say, well, why do you say existentially they are wrong when you have them themselves? So if you go from the EFL League Two to the National League, you get, you get parachute payments for two years. If you get relegated from the championship to uh, League One, you have it. Um, in the case of UEFA, if you have historically been in a UEFA competition and then you fail to qualify, you get what they refer to as solidarity payments. Don't tend to be very big, though. Um, so it does exist uh, in other in other countries, uh, but in other competitions as well. But certainly not to the same extent as the Premier League to the EFL Championship. If we take a look at Scotland, for example, the club that finishes bottom of the SPFL generates £1.07 million, and that compares to 535000 for the club finishing top of the championship. This is how to spend a Christmas day, you know, going, going through my spreadsheet numbers of, of, of prize money for clubs. Um, in, in the specific case of Italy, the, the club that finishes bottom of Serie A uh, I don't know how you say that in Italian, um, generates around about 30 million euro. And the total money for all of Serie B is 40 million euro. And that's spread between you know 18 clubs. So there is a big gap as far as relegation is concerned. Um, and therefore, that could be uh, an issue with regards to uh, Venezia. Uh, so, yeah, that does seem to be quite a, a, a sizable a gap, and I've always said that I'm I'm not opposed to parachute payments per se. What you do is you get rid of the need for the parachutes by having a a much smoother, gradual uh, gap between the Premier League and the Championship and the Championship and League One, 
and then you don't need you know the, the, the parachutes. The, the whole what people forget about parachutes is that they were they were originally introduced to stop clubs who were being relegated from the Premier League going into administration because they had legacy wage bills. Um, and the biggest mistake in the history of football, in my opinion, is when EFL clubs turned down the offer of a 25% share of the total combined broadcast revenues of the Premier League and uh, you know the, the 72 in the EFL. The EFL thought they could negotiate more money for themselves, and that has proven to be a spectacularly bad decision. And what they are now saying is that we want 25% because we want to apply hindsight 30 years later. Um, you know, and you know, if if I could apply thirty hindsight thirty years later, um, my life would be significantly different <laughs> uh, in many respects, as, as all of ours were, of course. But yeah. it, it, things don't work like that. Yeah, I, I like the fact, Kieran, that you uh, attempted a slight Italian accent for Serie A, and then just went straight <laughs> for, when it came to Serie B's with Serie B. You just went so South London and Serie B. Kevin Kissane has our next question, um, or for the sake of Christmas, Kevin Kissane under the mistletoe um, says, my hometown <laughs> club, <laughs> my, we need to rattle through the kid, what are we doing this on Christmas Day? My hometown club, Chesterfield FC, have been in the National League since 2018 and have struggled to get out since. My dad has watched them play for over 50 years and has recently voiced concerns that the club is losing a million pound a season, a topic discussed on various internet message boards. I, I think disgust is probably a euphemism there, Kieran. Uh, it reminded me of the Welcome to Wrexham documentary where in a meeting with their appointed executive, he advised the new owners, Rob and Ryan, that they would also lose a million pound every season that they failed to achieve promotion to the EFL. Will this be true of Chesterfield FC and do any clubs in the National League make money? I think Reynolds and McElhenney would have been delighted if they'd only lost a million pounds a year oh, well, really, in the yeah. National League. It was it was more than double that. The average losses of a National League team is £700,000 a year, which is, you know, so that's what we have, 14 grand a week. Um, and we, in fact, we had our price of football quiz uh, before Christmas and one of the questions was what is the which club has the record losses in a single national league season and that's Stockport County they lost 90 grand a week in getting promoted from the national league so it is indicative of it's a very competitive league there's no um, there's no equivalent of financial fair play you know, one owner contacted me um, and, and I might get him on the show in the new year an, an owner actually contacted me says I need to sell my club. I want to sell my club. Um, can you do anything to help us? And, and we thought at the time, well, you know, we're, we're not we're not necessarily that type of show to have people pitching to sell, but um, we, we we might have a, a, a committee meeting and decide we'll go for that. Um, so it, it's a very expensive business, and he just said it's not it's not financial fair play. It's the wild west of of football because you know there is there is regulation in the EFL there there is regulation as far as the premier league is concerned when it comes to the national league anything goes and everything goes um so that's 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 where we stand at present um 
for a for a fan owned club incurring losses of that magnitude simply isn't feasible because in order to have somebody to to have those losses you need somebody to be willing to to subsidize those losses and, and individual fans can't afford that and also you know it, it's the same if you if you've got 2000 people who are all owners of the club you'd all rather somebody else you know stumped up and and, and you didn't pay and that that's human nature it's also reflective of the fact that yeah, economically, um, this country is in the wilderness at, at present, and, and there's not a lot of money going around, especially you know, a place like Chesterfield, which which you know is is not you would say economically wealthy. Mm. Uh, our final question on Christmas Day, Kieran, comes from Fard Ahmed, and this is by way of a Christmas present to you, Kieran. This is a <laughs> this is just a little gift for you. Unwrap it, answer it, and enjoy it. Because Fard says, when conducting a fundamental analysis of a football club, what are the financial factors to look out for? We all know that football clubs usually do not generate much profit. So what are some accounting ratios we could calculate to understand the financial health of a club? Fill your boots, Kieran. You should see the size of my mind map on this one. (laughs) (laughs) Grief. And the the first thing I would do, Fard, is, is that I, w- I would break the business down into subsections. So I'd, I'd start off at looking at the the income coming in, um, look at the the ratio. It wouldn't be ratios as such, but look at the level of growth of broadcast income, match day income, and so on. I'd also look at the volatility of of the player trading model. We've we've got some clubs that are capable of selling a player every year, and some do it every two or three years. I'd then look at costs um, and uh, I'd look at wages as a percentage of revenue. We, we've we seen some clubs in the championship hit 200% or more. You've got the likes of Spurs in the Premier League, 39% quite regularly, you know, fantastically well-run club. Um, I also look at wages and amortization as a proportion of revenue, look at the level of rent, look at the interest costs, how easy can you cover your interest costs with interest cover, Move to the balance sheet, investment in infrastructure assets and player assets, and then look at the liabilities of the club, mainly going to be in the form of of borrowings, outstanding transfer fees and outstanding tax, because that can be a bit of a a red flag. Then finally, I'd be looking at the funding model. Is Is it being funded by the owner? Is it being funded by third party? If it is being funded by the owner, um, is it in the form of shares or is it going to be through through loans? Are they charging interest? We've seen some ridiculous interest rates being charged from, from various lenders. And then finally move into cash flow. Um, I'm, I've been asked to go on quite a few podcasts between Christmas and New Year um, in respect of a variety of clubs. And um, they, they failed the Baroness test. And the, bar- <laughs> the Baroness test was... Uh, so when I when I casually broached the subject, she says, "Hold on, aren't you doing seventeen Price of Football podcasts before Christmas so that we can spend some time together?" <laughs> and, and now, now you want to go on to Biggleswait United's <laughs> in between? No, you're not going to do that. Um, so uh, yeah, but looking looking at funding uh, for investment in players and infrastructure. How is that going to be generated? Is it going to be from your day-to-day operations? Is it going to be through loans? Is it going to be through owner equity? So those would be the the, the items that I cover. And, and yeah, that's 
that's effectively what I teach um, at university, except it takes probably longer than four minutes, uh, as I tend to have a few anecdotes and explanations and spreadsheets to back it up. Mm. Uh, we finished today, Kieran, Christmas Day, with an email from Jason Morris. Uh, Jason says, your podcast is fantastic. Thank you, Jason. I have a part-time job in the afternoons delivering on foot. It takes me two hours, three times a week, and I'd like to say that your podcast gets me around just listening to Kevin and Kieran. Kevin's wit and Kieran's knowledge are priceless, and I've learned so much about the finance in the game. I often find myself chuckling, but most of all, to Kieran's famous one word, vindictive. Keep it up, chaps, and give us a hello on my many rounds in Dorset Up the Cherries. Well, here's a cheery hello for you on Christmas Day, Kieran. Hello, Jason. Happy Christmas to you and a happy new year as well. That same goes to everybody listening to us. I hope your holidays are fun. Uh, and if you're working, then I hope that's as much fun as it can be as well on Christmas Day. As if you're working on Christmas Day, you'll be doing something important. So we thank you. And we thank everyone who's donated to the pod via our Patreon page. If you'd like to make a small monthly contribution to the pod as well and get access to our chat community and our regular quizzes, go to patreon.com slash priceoffootball. If you have a question you'd like answered on the show, email us at questions at priceoffootball.com. And if you'd like to buy our book or one of our other books, or get yourself a Price of Football t-shirt. You can find details on our website, priceoffootball.com. Bye, everybody. Merry Christmas. Bye. Merry Christmas. The Price of Football. I sub for the ball. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at caskers.com.